When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he just had a very pleasant chat with Chatter Fang. It's Matt Morgan. So Joey, I actually had to go to the hospital last week. It was a, a terrible peekaboo accident. I, I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that, but also I'm sorry. Uh, well, it was just I had to go to the see to the ICU. <laughs> I see. Well, I um, I'm glad I can't see <laughs> you. Did Did you see what I did there? I don't. That's a better joke. That's what I should have said. We're going to pretend that that is what I said because it was better. That, that's so fine. I, 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 I get it. You didn't see that coming. <laughs> okay. Dang it. Up next, up next, he really wants to see Guillaume MasterChef on the show, MasterChef. It's Dana Roach. Uh, I'm getting a little bit older and I've been thinking that when the end finally comes, I'm going to be cremated and probably have my ashes stored in a glass urn. Um, but, you know, remains to be seen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. For our intros that. this week, how did you both manage to coordinate slightly morbid sight-based <laughs> dad jokes? <laughs> what? You guys, you guys are magical, and I'm a little afraid. Anyway, this <laughs> is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck-building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Matt, can you tell us what it is that we're going to be talking about in this week's episode? So this week, we are going to talk about how to choose the right commander for your commander deck. How do you go through that process? What goes into it? Uh, what questions do you have to ask yourself? Indeed. Yeah, it should be a whole bunch of fun. It seems like a really simple question, but as we'll find in this episode, it might not be such a simple question after all. Real quick, before we get into our main topic, let's pause and thank Josh Lequai and the folks at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast and making it look as spiffy as it does. And we want to thank our sponsors for the show too. The EDH RecCast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Shopping there is like opening land into Soul Ring into Arcane Signet. <laughs> Just go to the card in question and click on the vendor link down below. Doing so supports both the site and the show. 
And if you would prefer to support the show directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash edhretcast. We have patron tiers of all levels, whether you want to join the awesome Discord community that we have, you want to see historic challenge stats, or you want to get some swag every now and then, we do send that out to all of our $20 tier patrons. You can do all of that and more over at patreon.com slash edhretcast. And we have a very special patron that went to that website, joined up, and we just give them a shout out just for joining, just for uh, you know saying thank you. So this week, Taylor McKeever, thank you so much. Um, I have no puns for your last name, but that doesn't mean we don't <laughs> appreciate your support. Um, thank you so much, Taylor. Matt, I think it's probably fair to say that not having a pun for the last name is probably a, a way of thinking, a way of, of that, showing that, that could be true too. Yeah. All right, fellas, let's get into our main topic. We are talking about choosing the right commander. And this seems like a really easy thing. Just like, you know, when you want to build a commander deck, there's the commander right there that draws your attention and you'll build a whole deck around it. But sometimes it's not actually that simple. There might be a category of deck that you're interested in going into, like blink or like wheels or like equipment or something like that. And you've got a couple of different commanders to choose from, or you want to build something that maybe is a bit niche and you don't know which of the commanders is going to be the one that will actually fit for that build. And that's the type of thing that we want to interrogate in this episode. And right off the bat, I guess I should probably mention that this topic is also sort of inspired by the article series that I write on EDH Rec, which is the Commander Showdown series, in which I pit two different commanders that are similar looking, and I just compare and contrast them with each other to discover differences in their deck building and their strategies. And I think also this is probably pretty important to, to sort of go into that a bit more, because more and more of these days, and Matt, I'm sure this is a thing that you've um, felt the impact of a lot. More and more these days, we keep on seeing that WotC is exploring a lot of the same design spaces um, in a couple of different ways. Like they'll make multiple Golgari life gain sort of uh, commanders, even within the same set, for instance, or multiple mutate commanders or things like that. And that has led to a huge bunch of commanders that we're seeing more and more that I know has kind of felt overwhelming to you at least. <laughs> so Yeah, definitely. I, and it used to be that you didn't get very many choices. And so now we're complaining about too many choices, which it's it's kind of a, too much of a good thing. Um, I'm yeah. not going to argue with having choices. That's always great. So the, the point of this episode isn't really to, to complain about that, but it's more you have all these choices now. So how do we navigate that conversation, that internal decision-making process? Because, yeah, like you pointed out, Joey, there's a lot of different options for almost whatever strategy, whatever color combination you want to be doing these days. So it's definitely a more complicated decision tree than it used to be. Yeah, that's a much better way of saying it, because I also feel that it is kind of like a whole lot at once, but it is nice to have those choices. But in the same, you know, in a single year, in a single set, you might have, all right, I wanted to build Golgari Elves, for example, but now there are like five different options for me to build Golgari Elves. Which one is the one that is actually going to be the most appealing? That kind of thing will be uh, the thing that we want to move through. So we should sort of just start by asking, what are the questions that you ask when you are going to build a deck? Matt, I'll actually throw it back to to you when you are sitting down to brew what are some of the first things that cross through your mind uh, so i ask myself really two big questions when i'm starting the process um the first one is what do i want to do with this deck uh what's the strategy what's the color combination just the the general overview and then the second question is is there a commander that helps me do the thing i want to be doing um, if i'm building a selesnia combat kind of deck 
what is a commander that helps me get that done? And then I choose Miri Weatherlight Duelist. Uh, <laughs> but any yeah, reason like, to, to bring up Miri. Any reason, any, any reason to bring up Cat Mom, yes. But actually, a, a good recent um, example of this is my 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 Vivictus Asmati the Dyer. Uh, that deck I really wanted to build Junt colors because I've never had a Junt deck, and I really I love the card sneak attack. I love cheating big things into play, and so I wanted to f- play around with different things like that. And as I was digging around with different Junt legendary creatures, like yes, there's Corvold that just gets all the value all the time. But I did some more digging and I found Vivictus Asmati, which is great because it kind of lets me chaos warp different creatures from the top of my deck into play. And so it's just another kind of fun, controlled chaos type of effect <laughs> where I'm just cheating big things into play all the time. And it's it's definitely a, been a, a, a fun time for sure. But yeah, those are the two big questions that I ask is, what do I want to be doing? And do I how much do I want the commander to enable that? Or how dependent on the commander do I want to be? Mm, okay, okay. Dana, I'll flip that question to you now. When you were sitting down to brew, aside from your obvious well-known goal of finding the most hipster way to do the thing that you're going to do. Um, what are some of the questions that you ask yourself when you are trying to find uh, the the right soul of the commander deck that you're building, so to say? I, I mean, you joke about that, but like that's a, a big question that, that I <laughs> ask when I, when I do that. I, I, I do start similar to Matt. I'm like, okay, what is this concept I have? What am I in the mood to brew right now? What idea has popped up? And there's always like three or four ones that I'm kind of thinking about doing and looking at in, in, in casually browsing commanders. <laughs> um, but when I decide, I like, you know, okay, I've got a bunch of uh, swords of, you know, fire and, and punch or whatever particular swords I happen to have. <laughs> swords I, of fire and right. punch. <laughs> and I, I want to, gosh, build an equipment deck. Why not? That would be kind of fun. Um, so you look what commanders allow you to do that. But in my case, I immediately say, okay, how does everyone build this deck? Everyone builds it as, as some form of a Boros deck. So I'm not building Boros. I need to find a way to do that. That's not the same way everyone's doing it. So I, I asked that first question, what commanders enable that? But I ask it, what commanders enable that in a way that doesn't look like how everyone else builds that deck. Okay. And, and is that like your first guiding principle? Absolutely. Then, I, I, I immediately yeah. decided it wasn't going to be Boros because that's how everyone builds an equipment deck. So that was my very first decision. Okay. How, how can I build equipment and it can't be in Boros? Okay. All right. I'm, I can sort of see that. I can't really see that. That is not a way that, that doesn't resonate with me, but I'm glad that it sure. works for you because you do build very, very interesting decks. It's absolutely, absolutely the case. And I think especially the way that you are going about it there is a, like a fundamentally different way than I tend to build. I really, the, the, the commander itself tends to be the thing that sparks my interest. I, I don't usually have a category that I'm seeking, but I have slowly sort of grown into that a bit more over time. Like I got a good feeling that, yeah, black, white tokens would be really interesting to me. And thankfully, Thalese came out and landed right in my lap and it was perfect. It was everything that I wanted. Most of the time I am like the Mimeoplasm. I love this card. This is so cool. Let me build a whole deck around it. And there's not a lot of, you know, confusion. I don't have to look at a bunch of other Sultai commanders because I'm just like, this is the the commander I know I want to build. But more and more, I have been getting a bit more of that sense of the way that you guys, uh, I, I think, build a bit more. Uh, which is that there's a category that I'm interested in, like you said, equipment or like <laughs> like Matt said, Selesnia fight cat mom, I think was the category <laughs> that you yes, said. Yes, accurate. Um, 
And so a big example of that for me was uh, Rakdos Goad. I really wanted to play around with Rakdos forcing combat. And Cardor Doomscourge came out in the past year, but then so did Karazakar. And so if I'm just looking at both of those two commanders right next to each other, knowing that I am interested in building Rakdos Goad, how in the world do I pick between the two of those? So that is, I think, the next step in those. It isn't just some of those early questions about, like, what is the thing that I want the deck to do? Or even what are the colors that I want it to do? But, like, now that I'm in this category, when there are several options what now? How do I figure out what I'm going to do there? And I think even those two commanders might serve as a really good example, because one of them provides consistent goad, and the another one provides one-term goad effect, but on a huge scale. The Cardor versus the Karazakar, like, that is going to make the decks play out a whole lot differently, and that is a really interesting and really important thing to know about when you are trying to build the deck and figuring out what it is that you want it to do and how. Well, and, and that's actually a really interesting kind of adventure in scryfall for me at least is finding the commanders that immediately like have the keyword that you're looking for you're, you're trying to do a goad uh, in rakdos so it's a pretty easy search or you're trying to do equipment in without red for example like dana might have done uh, but then finding the commanders that fit into that uh, don't explicitly say goad or equipment or whatever so like dana came across essior and that's how he came to that partner or karazakar you had to do a little bit more digging even though it didn't blatantly say this is the mechanic you're trying to play around or anything like that but it still is perfect for what you are trying to do yeah, I mean, sometimes you just have to bring up a list of a bunch of cards and read them all. <laughs> like, you just have to. Like, there's, I mean, particularly if you're doing this kind of dive, I'm not saying everyone should do that. Um, that probably sounds miserable for some people. Mm -hmm. But, like, for me, when I get that idea, I, yeah. I, I do. I want to bring up a list of, like, okay, so what are my options here? I'm going to, you know, discount anything that's in red. Um, what could I possibly brew? And then just start reading cards and, like, okay, what could I do with this? What could I do with that? How would this work? Um, it is a process the way I do it. I mean, it's probably much more time consuming than most people would want to invest. <laughs> but right there, I think we're hitting on an immediately really good and really effective lesson to help with that. Like if you are between several options, whether it's two options in Rakdos Goad or it's several options in the equipment sphere, Dana, right off the bat, you gave yourself a restriction. And that's a really big first lesson for me. Giving yourself a restriction can be very, very helpful in figuring out which of the commanders will be the one that actually speaks to you about the strategy that you're looking for. Let's say that you do want to build those Golgari Elves, which we saw a whole bunch of in the past year. A bunch of stuff from, you know, Commander Legends came out and a bunch of stuff from Kaldheim and there was a pre-con and all of that stuff. Well, knowing if there's a, a certain restriction like, mm, I don't want to play with this type of elf, or I don't want the elves that make people discard, or I don't like these other elves that are just giving up minus minus or something like that. Like, if you know that there are certain things that you definitely don't want to do, that can immediately help you guide to find the thing that you do. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is is kind of season to taste, too. Like, you just look at it when you're faced with those multiple options in the elves deck, for example what 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 might be a correct choice for one person um and i use air quotes around correct here um <laughs> might not be correct for somebody else based on what your personal play style is based on perhaps what people in your meta play and like what your meta's power levels at there can be a lot of different correct choices depending on what those variables are yeah and and i think kind of the, the crux of this whole episode is going to be you're not trying to pick the the strictly correct commander it's you're trying to find the correct commander for you for the experience yes. that you want to have um I, there's an element of that scene in the first harry potter movie where he goes in and picks his wand like there but it is like to a degree there's some of that you have to find that thing that fits you 
The, yeah. the deck chooses the wielder. Is that what you Yeah, mean? there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I, I don't know what any of that means, but I trust both of you. <laughs> I've never thought of my uh, my deck as like a sentient thing that has chosen me. Um I'm gonna have and to. And that's why your decks that. play the way they do, Joey. That's, that's a level of personification I wasn't necessarily ready for today. <laughs> um, so, but Matt, I love I love what you said there. I really love that point for sure. I, I'm still lost on the Harry Potter thing. That's the one with the little wizard boy, right? <laughs> I'm 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 steering us back in course. Don't you don't you deviate my <laughs> deviation? It, it. I love what you said about how it isn't about finding the quote right commander. It's about finding the right commander for you, like. I think it's actually probably really easy for us to – Matt, you said that you were looking for a Jund commander when you were doing that sneak attack uh, deck idea. And Korvold is a great big monster of a commander that we've seen is so good at so many things that in fact I think, uh, Dana, you and I have even kind of felt its presence when we were trying to build other types of decks. For example, mm-hmm. you have a Crash plus one plus one counters deck in Jund and I at one point had a Lord Windgrace deck which was Landfall. And both of us kind of realized that the amount of plus one counters that Korvold – could gain and the amount of card draw that he could do and with all of those fetch lands sacrificing themselves that Corvold would benefit from like Corvold was kind of proving to be a better plus one counters commander than what you had chosen and he was kind of being just as effective if not more effective for a landfall deck too for what I was trying to do with Lord Windgrace and that wasn't right for us because that isn't what we wanted so even if Corvold is a better or something like that like that's not the right question to ask finding what the best commander is that doesn't matter even if it is like i I don't know just like it is a personalized thing and so that's what i'm trying to steer us back on matt don't deviate us again (laughs) but the the point that you had was a good one finding the right commander for you not just the correct commander quote unquote well i'm I'm sure everyone out there has has asked for advice on decks and and comments back have been well this commander is just gonna be better like that's terribly unhelpful Oh yeah, like that, that might be the least helpful response ever. Is just play this commander instead. Like, no, hold up. I, I respect the the choice that the the person made. Yeah, um, and, and and let's go from there. Let, let, but yeah, um, saying X commander is just going to be better. Um, people like when you're giving feedback, folks, don't it, just go with the commander. <laughs> Whatever commander that person picked, go with that. Well, and, and I would say this is where that you have to find that thing that kind of fits you and your playstyle comes into play too. Because to a degree, mm-hmm. I can rationalize not picking Korvald over mm-hmm. Crash in that particular deck. And the rationalization I would use is because the amount of attention that Korvald would bring yeah. just existing in the command zone, let alone when I cast it, isn't going to be what that deck can, is built to handle. So, like, for the particular deck I want to play, maybe Crush is a better fit because it does fly under the radar way more than Corvald ever would. And that's the way I want to play in general and definitely want to play that deck is to not draw attention to myself. I I really love that. I'm I'm going to take both of what you guys just said because, Matt, I feel the same way. I have feelings about when, when deck advice is given to someone in the form of you should just play X instead. Like, that... I get, I get a little bit incensed. Jo- Joey, Joey has feelings and opinions, something never heard of on this podcast. <laughs> Liz, no, I, I, I think that it is a reductive form of giving advice and giving advice is supposed to be a constructive thing and it doesn't help. And not only that, I think it makes you actively a worse player if that is the way that you choose to engage with the game generally, whether it's in an advice system or not. Like if you just think that this is a better thing, 
Like, it's language, certainly, that we have sometimes slipped into. Literally, when I was describing this, we were like, oh, Corvold might be better for the plus one counters thing. But, like, in general, though, assuming that a commander is just better than another means that you might miss out on some actually really cool things that the commander you're overlooking can do. And I'll actually use... um Ranar the Ever Watchful as an example here. So Ranar the Ever Watchful is that Azorius foretell commander who also gives you spirit tokens whenever you uh, foretell something from your hand or whenever you blink something, whenever you exile stuff. And so the deck that you can build with Ranar is very blinky and you'll make a bunch of spirit tokens. And a lot of the conversation that I see around that commander is, well, why wouldn't you just play Brago? Or if you want to uh, have a bunch of spirit tokens, why not just play the new Millicent? Because that gives you more spirit tokens and does better stuff with them. And I'm like, ah, that's so it's like actually really kind of frustrating to see that stuff. It's it's like they're not completely unfair questions. Like I have kind of like suspected like, oh, why would I, you know, Brago can blink. I should just use Brago if I wanted to. Right, right. But then I had to like take a second look back and be like, no, if I just have that attitude, I am missing out on a lot of what Ranar can do. Ranar is capable of some completely different combos than what those commanders are capable of doing. Or let's say you don't like the reputation that Brago has. Like Dana mentioned, with the reputation that Corvold has, like Brago kind of has a reputation of nearly always needing to lean on combo with Strionic Resonator in order for the deck to finally pull off a win, or else it's really, really slow. That alone is reason enough for Ranar to be perfectly good in his justification as a choice for a commander deck. So I've, I've said my piece, but yes, I have feelings about how reductive that yeah. line of questioning can be. <laughs> I, I will agree, Joey, with, with you entirely. And, and I say that as someone whose original EDH rec series was an article series where I would say, don't run cancel because this allows <laughs> a strictly better card. Um, but I think the, the command, first of all, Commander cards in the command zone tend to not work that way. <laughs> there very rarely are cards that are exact clones of one another, but one has trample and one doesn't. Like that, there's just very few situations where it's a perfect apples to apples comparison. Mm-hmm. Whereas for cards in 99, it oftentimes can be. It's very easy to compare Manolith to, to Chromatic Lantern, for example. Of course. Yeah. Um, so I think it, you can perhaps be that reductive when you're talking about cards of the 99, in the command zone, it just tends to not work that way. There are enough subtle differences that that you can't just dismiss one entirely and say it's better than the other because, you know, generally speaking, there is some push and pull there. Yeah, and I, I think the point that both of you have made that I also uh, absolutely agree with is the, the desired power level of the deck and what you want that deck to be able to handle. Um, yes, you could play a commander that Corvold is an easy one that we've mentioned a thousand times today or Chulain or, or whatever brawl commander that you, you want to throw out there. Um, it's very easy to say, oh, you, you, why not just play this commander? It's better. Um, maybe I'm building a deck that doesn't want to play at that power level. Mm. That is a massive, massive question that a lot of people, I think, overlook because they're just looking for how can I optimize? How can I optimize? But if you're shooting for a certain target level, um, maybe that's not really a conversation that you want to be having because you're looking for other things to explore. Yeah, Matt, that is actually something I, I have definitely had a lot of experience doing where I built a deck that I was originally like really pleased with. It felt completely right. And then after actually getting reps in with it, I realized it was more powerful than I actually wanted it to be. It was faster than I had expected. And I was like, ah, I kind of want to scale it back. But how do I even do that when sometimes the demands of the commander are what cause it to be so good in the first place? And I think my uh, my Graven Predator Captain deck is probably a pretty good example of this. That's the um, Rakdos 5-mana Human Warrior who gets plus X plus O if you've lost life 
this turn, he'll just get super huge for however much life you've lost. And it's a really fun thing to play around with. And when I first built that deck, I expected it to just be, oh, you know, I'll play a couple of eight power creatures for super cheap attack and I'll get a nice big clock in with those. It'll be super fun. I'll just kind of play with my life total a bit. But it actually very quickly became an all or nothing type of deck. Like it could just, the, the optimal play pattern was to you know, since people don't want Graven to stick around for a very long time, you play him with haste, sacrifice one big thing or lose a bunch of life, give him lifelink and then clock one player out of the game and immediately reset the life that you just paid in order to make that happen. Or you play some huge Chandra's Ignition once he's gotten a whole bunch of power and then make everyone else lose more life than you lost. And it's still a really exciting commander that I really do enjoy, but the ways that I initially built it it was just such an all or nothing deck that it was just not necessarily the right pace for me. And so it's a deck that I've had to kind of scale back a lot recently because I'm like, hmm, I'm not sure if this is actually necessarily the play pattern that I wanted. And is there a way that I can figure this out a bit more? Or I'll use my mono red deck as another example. I have a Martin Stromgold deck and the pace of that deck is pretty darn slow because you have to make a lot of tokens and then play the commander and then attack with those tokens in order for anything lethal to happen at all. But if I was just interested in mono red tokens and a commander like Krenko Mob Boss who duplicates all of the goblins that you have every single turn, if that had been the first place that I stopped for mono red, that would have been completely wrong for me because it was not the pace that I was trying to get. So yeah, the power level that you're talking about there, it can be very deceptive to even find. And sometimes the deck is doing what you think it should, but it's still not necessarily the tempo that you were expecting or the tempo that you wanted. And that can be really tough to deal with after you've already built the deck. Yeah, that's a really good point though, Joey, about like, especially you your your Greven deck, um, it's it the, maybe the power level was right, but like the speed of it, that's what you weren't expecting. So you need to make tweaks, and and the commander obviously lends itself to being very uh, watch me go brr. Uh, <laughs> it, it uh, that's a technical term. I, so I sorry, let me let me dumb it down. I'm, I'm, um, I'm glad to know. <laughs> Rakdos go smash. Rakdos go smash. <laughs> uh, that that's the that is the official slogan of of your Greven deck, but yeah, like it, the the speed of it is absolutely something that you have to keep in mind because the commander just naturally lends itself to being very aggressive, very hard hitting, and very fast. Uh, so that's something you have to keep in mind when selecting your commander. Uh, that I have had that very same thought process with my Valduck deck. Mm. How fast do I want to go? How hard do I want to be hitting? And how can I make it so it's it's something that it's the, the type of play experience that I wanted to be when I originally brewed the deck. I have a Jury Master of the Review deck that I, I had built, and I had wanted something built around treasures and clues um, and to a lesser degree food. So, I, so like, I, okay, I'll build this Jury deck and I will sacrifice treasures, which will you know enable me to cast other things and it'll put counters on Jury and... Oh, how will I kill people? Well, I, okay, I can give Jury Infect. I can use, you know, Tainted Strike or um, if I recess, there's a couple of different cards that you can use to give one of your commanders, give a creature Infect. So when I sacrifice Jury, I'll hit somebody for, you know, 12 or 13 damage or whatever, which will kill them. Um, what I very quickly found was it was much easier than I had planned to put those plus one counters on Jury given the ridiculous amount of treasures we've been given. Mm. So... Number one, I didn't necessarily need to do that for a win condition, but more importantly, it put me in a position where sometimes by like turn five, I was able to kill somebody. I would have <laughs> my commander already up to an, enough level that I could just taint and strike onto my commander and high market him and kill somebody immediately. I'm like, but that's, I really don't want to be doing that too because I can't kill everyone that way. I can kill one person. 
And then one person's just sitting there not playing magic until I can get back in that position and take out somebody else. Right. Whereas once I remove those infect cards and focus more on getting that deck up to the point where I could I could do things to kill multiple people simultaneously that might take me three or four or five turns longer, but then I could just win the game maybe or, or at least take out a couple people versus knocking one person out early. That particular play pattern in that deck was much more fun and much, worked much more the way I wanted it to work. Um, so, so the commander was the right choice. I just had to tweak the deck a little bit to make the commander work the way I had envisioned it. And, and that's also very much the same thing for that that Graven example, because like, yeah, yeah, the play pattern of that one would kind of demand that I clock one person out of the game, and then most likely I might fall immediately after that because of how much attention <laughs> right. I've just drawn. And that too wasn't necessarily the thing that I had expected when I first built the deck or wanted when I started playing the deck. And I still really enjoy it, and I love the idea a whole lot. But it's something that I do have to, you know, tinker with a bit more to really find what it is that is uh, going to make me the happiest with that deck. Well, and because you don't have to just phrase it like. Oh, I'm a nice guy. I don't want to kill everyone with a, with a tainted strike on turn five. You could you could very easily look at that like I, I want to win the game. And, and if I'm using that tainted strike on turn five, then everyone else sees that and realizes I could just kill them with infect at any point <laughs> in time. So they take you out, just like the, the, the graven thing, like you said, Joey. Then they focus on you. So perhaps slow rolling that a little bit more is in the end the kind of the optimized play, even though it's taking longer to kill people. You can definitely make an argument that like that's the the kind of quote unquote stronger way to play it. I I love that. Like that is such an underrated piece of advice right there. Just like sometimes doing the worst thing is better. Sometimes yeah, right, yeah, absolutely. For sure. <laughs> Sometimes it just happens to be true. I also kind of want to circle back to something that, Matt, you had mentioned earlier when you were, uh, you know, deciding which of the, uh, what commander you're going to build, what your process is for, for booing. And, and one of the things that you mentioned was about, like, are there specific colors that you want to do it in? And so you knew since you had never built a Jund deck before, that was something that was going to appeal to you. But I also want to take a look and sort of examine that a, a bit more critically here, too, because there are some cases where even just deciding the color, like that can be a very good way to make a decision about which commander you want to build, but it isn't where the decision stops necessarily. It's still worth it to interrogate even further. And I'll use Legends Matters commanders as an example here. So there are a bunch of commanders that care about legendary stuff. For example, Dana, you have a Reki the History Kamigawa deck, which is a mono green commander that draws you cards whenever you cast legendary cards. There's also Captain Sisse, which is a two color uh, Selesnya commander that can tutor for any legendary card in your deck. Then there's three color Obzon Kethis the Hidden Hand who can get legendary stuff back from your graveyard and we have a five color Sisse that can also tutor for your stuff and gets bigger for the more uh, color legendary permanents that you have in play. So it would, I think, be really easy to just be like, oh, I want to build legendary stuff and I like my Obzon Legends so I'll go with Kethis. But even if that is like you know, an easy way to actually make the decision about which of those legendary matters commanders you would be most interested in building. There's still another step to this process in realizing just how different their play patterns are. Like those commanders are wildly dissimilar. Dana, your Reki deck is basically like a mono green storm kind of situation because of how many cards Reki draws you. And so you've prioritized all of these really small, cheap mana, low cost legendary cards versus Kethis is like straight up a reanimator deck. And Sisse can tutor for combo targets if you want her to. Like those are all legends matters, but they're completely different and not just because because of the colors that they have, but also because of the strategies that their abilities cause. Yeah, and that's a good situation or a good example of a situation where 
you you very much probably want to lean into what your particular play style is. There's a lot of people that, you know, if you're not someone who plays combo, mm-hmm. that Sissy deck probably isn't attractive to you. If you are someone who loves combo, that's absolutely the choice you're probably going to want to make. Um, so, yeah, I, I, again, very much that that kind of fi- the commander finds you a little bit. The, the personal <laughs> play style makes a huge difference there. Like commander it's, it's, finds you? Yeah. Wait, why are we personifying it still? Sis- Sisse tutors you up and says, here I am, play me. Uh, you're making it sound like a horror movie now. It's, this isn't inspiring at all. This is just... if, you, if you stand in your bathroom and, and, and spin around three times in front of the mirror, your commander will appear before you. That doesn't make any sense. I don't even believe that. <laughs> I, I'm just imagining Matt in you know bathroom doing the Bloody Mary thing where the lights are all off and he's just looking in the mirror holding a candle and he's like, Bloody Miri, Bloody Miri, Bloody oh, Miri. There it is. There it is. Good. That was that was well played. That was, hey. that was well played. <laughs> Thank you. But but I, but I actually I do agree with Dana that like sometimes the the commander finds you. Um, for example, like all three of us have a, a landfall deck. Uh, we've we've all played around with that strategy, but all three of us have a different commander for that deck. Uh, they're doing very different things because we try to do it differently. We want to express it. Whereas I have Omnath, Locus of Rage. Joey, you have your Titania deck. And, mm-hmm. I, and Dana has his Mina and Den Wildborn deck. All three of us are doing something very different within the same strategy even because different commanders appeal to us. And, and that's why I think like having so many options for different strategies isn't necessarily a bad thing because people get to express the same strategy in very different ways. Too true, Matt. Too true. We do uh, all three, have three true. Three true. There three were three commanders true. <laughs> that three I mentioned. True. We do all have different landfall decks, and this is going to uh, lead us into another part of the show about different categories and stuff and how we relate to those. But um, I think what we're going to have to do right now is make this just a tease for what's coming in the second half of this episode, because because right now I think what it is actually is is time for challenge the stats. Three true, isn't it, Matt? Three true. Three true. Five ever. Five ever. Uh, So yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. Um, It's going to be a cool topic for sure coming in the second half, but let's pause now and challenge some statistics. There is so much data on EDH rec, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards see too much or too little play. So we love to challenge those statistics. Dana, how about you start us off with your challenge the stats this week? Uh, Sure. So so my challenge the stats is um, kind of a, a, a general challenge, it's not for any particular deck, um, and it's slightly budget-based. And, and this cropped up recently because I was tinkering around with a, with building a deck that had green in it, and like, you know, okay, so Sylvan Library is a good card, I'll throw that in there. Um, I don't have any Sylvan Libraries running use, mm. and it's not a cheap card anymore. So, so I was, you know, thinking about what substitutions there are for Sylvan Library, um, nothing does what Sylvan Library does, really. However, there's a card that's only in about 1,600 decks in EDH rack that kind of would work in that slot. Um, Cream of the Crop from way back in Morning Tide. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Cream of the Crop says, whenever a creature comes into play under your control, you may look at the top X cards of your library where X is that creature's power. And if you do, put one of those cards in the, on the top of your library and the rest on the bottom. So you're just going to set up whatever your your next draw is going to be, um, and you do it whenever a creature comes into play. Doesn't say it doesn't say non-token. Doesn't say cast. Oh. Whenever any creature comes into play, you can just start digging down and setting up the top of your library with whatever you want to do. Green has 
more than a few things that let you draw cards when you cast creature spells as well. It has a couple different things that let you cast things off the top. So there's a lot of manipulation that you can play into, but it's just genuinely a good card. Like even if you're not setting up anything, if you just want a way to put a card in almost any green deck that's going to guarantee that your next draw step is going to be something that's useful, Cream the Crap does a really, really good job of it, and it's only like around $5 right now. So uh, that card, I think, should be in more than 1,600 decks. It doesn't even need any specific setup. It's even better if it has some, but you can just put it into a green deck and have it do a ton of work, and it should see more play. I mean, cream, cream of the crop is one of those old Maelstrom Wanderer, like hot tech pieces that uh, yeah, kind of yeah. lets you oh. chain together all your cascades. Uh, it's real gnarly. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. But I, I love this card. It's it's real good. It's kind of kind of forgotten tech for sure. That's that's really interesting. Setting up the top deck like there's some weird timing with the cascade itself. But mm -hmm. I mean, that sets you up for a lot of future stuff. Oh, I'm I'm scared. And it's very telling that Matt already knew about this green card because he's Mr. Mary Go Smash person. <laughs> I, I do love me some some green utility cards. So yes, uh, this card is sweet. Oh, cool. Is your challenge this week also a green utility card then? My challenge actually is a white utility card, which is even better. So <laughs> okay. here we go. Um, but actually, my challenge this week comes from a super fan of the show, Crab Baskets, who you can find over in the Discord community. Hey. Um, they submitted this challenge this week. Um, and the card they're challenging out here is Moon Blessed Cleric. Um, so... Moonblessed Cleric uh, is two and a white for a human elf cleric, uh, which human and elf, they're the D&D set. Um, <laughs> but it has the ability, so when Moonblessed Cleric enters the battlefield, you may search your library uh, for an enchantment card, reveal it, then shuffle it and put that card on top. Uh, so Crab Baskets points out it's basically a 50 cent version of Enlightened Tutor, which is a card that sees a ton of play, but also kind of like Dana's challenge, um, we're replacing a $40, $50 card with a <laughs> much, much cheaper version. Um, Crab Baskets points out Sith as being a new commander feels like a lot of people picked it up and is seeing the most penetration. There's about 800 decks, or which is a very good point, but also like Moonblast Cleric is only played in 5,000 decks right now. Uh, that number's super low, but Sithis is a very, very good call there. Uh, Bruna Light of Alabaster, Crab Baskets also points out as another commander that could be using this. Oh, yeah. Um, there's only 100 decks out there, uh, or at least I should say 100 Bruna decks out there that are using this, and only 200 decks um, for two Voss of the Sunlit. Uh, so there's a lot of commanders that have a lot of opportunity to be playing Moonblessed Cleric. Um, I absolutely think that's a great point um, to Crab Baskets. Uh, very low for this awesome tutor effect, but also you're putting this on a creature, which means you can flicker it, you can reanimate it, all sorts of different things. So there's a lot of play behind this. Um, and so I love this challenge. It's, it's just a great one. But all these commanders, if you have an enchantment-centric commander, you probably want to give a look to Moon Blessed Cleric because... Enlightened Tutor's 40 bucks. Why don't you save yourself $39.50 and grab, or, or save yourself like $38 and just grab a place out of these. <laughs> there you go. I really like that. That's a really great, really good budget pick. And I, Matt, I am inspired by, you mentioned uh, a creature that has three creature types. And Dana, you mentioned a card that was showing up in about 1600 decks so far and so i'm going to combine both of yours and i'm going to have my challenge be also a card that is only showing up in about 1600 decks that has three creature types and matt i think that they're better than the elf human cleric thing this sounds like a murder board type of connection here <laughs> this is shark to crab i'm talking about shark to crab which is a four mana simic four four shark 
octopus crab um, with an adaptability that you'll probably never activate and the text whenever one or more plus one counters are put onto shark to crab you can tap target creature and opponent controls and it doesn't untap during that player's next untap step and specifically i think this is kind of underplayed for kenrith the returned king decks kenrith is possibly really well known for being a competitively oriented commander but if you're playing a budget kenrith deck a non-competitive deck there's a lot of fun stuff that you can do with all of his crazy activated abilities that he's got you know one of my personal favorites for example is with his uh pay two and a white ability you can have target player gain five life but you've got like a tainted remedy in play to like make that opponent lose five life instead of gaining it like there's a bunch of weird shenanigans that you can do with kenrith's ability and i think shark to crab is a perfect one for kenrith's one and a green ability to put a plus one counter onto target creature because for two mana you can just tap down an opponent's thing by buffing up your crab and then that person can't untap that thing so now in addition to the really cool abilities that kenrith has where he can buff stuff up and give you life and draw you cards and reanimate your stuff and give you haste and trample now he also gains a defense ability by putting plus one counters two at a time onto that shark to crab just for that two mana like i think this is a really cool defensive application that only costs 25 cents so uh yeah shark octopus crab three creature types uh three three matt it came up again the three is is great right yeah i yeah. I, I i don't have any number puns i'm just okay. gonna agree with you <laughs> you're gonna agree i can't with I, me? <laughs> you, you can't count on me to come up with any good number puns, so. <laughs> cool Okay, that was silly. That was fun. Now that we are all done with our challenges, let's get back into that. Matt, you had brought up uh, this fun tease of the fact that, yes, we do all have landfall decks. So you have Omnath Locus of Rage, the very famous big green red jelly bean. I've got a Titania deck, which is the mono green commander that cares about when you lose your lands, it makes you elemental tokens. And then Dana, you built a Mina and Den Wildborn deck, which is the gruel commander for four mana that gives you extra land drops. And this right here is is a really interesting study in just how disparate stuff can be. Like these are all landfall decks, but within that single word landfall, like the umbrella of what that means is so very, very different. These decks completely play so wildly disparate. So I will explain my choice here to start with. Um, Omnath Locus of Rage was in the first of the two um, Return to Zendikar sets, Battle for Zendikar. Um, and I had wanted to build a landfall deck, so I was like all ready. I had all my cards all set when when that set was being spoiled and Omnath was previewed. I'm like, gruel landfall, that's perfect. That's what I wanted to build. I, I, I was ready the day it came out. I, I, I had everything set. I even cracked one of my pre-release kit. So I was immediately good to go. Um, but what I found over the course of playing Omnath pretty early on was Omnath centralized everything around him. Everything the deck wanted to do tended to rely on Omnath being in play, mm. and people tended to not like Omnath being in play. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it just wound up like being not the way I wanted to play that deck. Um, I was running support cards for Omnath and that, that really didn't necessarily lend to the landfall stuff I wanted to be doing. I was finding myself wanting to or needing to devote resources and card slots to protecting Omnath what he came, once he was in play. Um, so, so I was giving up even more and more slots of, for, for fun things I wanted to be using. And I, I was actually pretty frustrated with the deck until the second set came out um, over the Gatewatch where Mina and Den were, were previewed. And they're pretty unimpressive, I would say, <laughs> compared to Omnath, okay. um, at least as far as landfall commanders go. 
But that's actually what I wanted is, is what I discovered once I swapped them out as the commander, people stopped caring then. Like, <laughs> me and Den come out and just no one bats an eye. And I no longer needed to devote protection slots in the deck to keeping my commander out. I didn't really need to devote anything else in the deck to synergizing with what the commander was doing. You know, Omnath, you tend to want to have a few sack outlets. You want to have things like that to take best advantage of those tokens. I, I was get freeing up slots in that regard as well. Um, the, the deck just played much more the way I personally wanted to play it under Mina and Den than it did under Omnath. So while I'm not going to argue that they are a stronger commander than, than what Omnath is, for the way I wanted to play that deck and the way I just kind of generally tend to play, it was a much better fit for me than anything that came up before or since then. Honestly, Dana, that makes a lot of sense to me. But I mean, now, now, Matt, we got to give you the floor because this is one of your favorite decks like ever. <laughs> um. it, it is. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, my Omnath Locus of Rage deck is actually my oldest surviving deck. I've had that together, I want to say, almost since the set came out. I might have built it fairly recently after the set was released. Uh, but for me, it was... I just really like the idea of just churning out five fives. Uh, <laughs> Matt Go Smash is something that we also have said on this podcast in the, before. I, I, Matt, I, I believe the technical term you said was go burr. Go burr, yes, <laughs> excuse me. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, elementals go burr. Uh, but yeah, it was just something that I, I really liked the strategy of uh, being able to go wide, being able to go big. Uh, there was a lot of just fun play around that. And also, I don't think I was nearly invested back then as I am now in the format. So like the, the power level conversation, that wasn't something that we knew what we were doing back then. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just something I want to build something that goes big and go smash. Uh, and, and I've tuned that deck over the time. And as I got more and more invested in the format, kind of understood the, the theory behind it, I kind of realized, okay, like this is what I could be doing with the deck. This is how I can tune the power level to where I want it to be and really refined it. And then like I, I bought a, uh, a Taiga for it because I, that was my deck. Now this is a deck that like I'm committing to <laughs> Omnath Locus of Rage and I bought a dual land for it. And that was my big massive purchase and triple the price of the deck because it's a bunch of cultivates and then <laughs> than that. I'm really enjoying the image here. I mean, granted, this was, you know, a, a bit ago before the dual lands. Were it was a while ago. As yes. ridiculous. But then again, they've always been ridiculous. But like, I, since we're going with this personification of, of decks that have like the deck chooses you is the, the metaphor we've gone with for this episode. I like the idea that you buying a taiga was like a proposal ring or something. That, like that. That, that is a very good way to put actually. Yes. Like I, I proposed to Omnath. I said, will, will you be my forever commander? There you go. Well, and, and so a lot of what Dana was saying there about like, you know, the the deck being very commander centric. I've also played an Omnath deck before and that feels definitely true, but I don't think that's a problem for you. You're like, cool. Yeah. All eggs in one basket. The basket's going to blow up in your face if you destroy it. That's okay with me. So it seems like that's still something you're totally comfortable with. And the pace of that puts you in the driver's seat as opposed to the other strategy that Dana uh, prefers a little bit more. Yeah. I, I've joked on, on stream, on the podcast, that the nice thing about Omnath is even if Omnath gets killed, I just keep doing what I was doing anyways and replay him again, and, and th there's no really stopping the machine. Um, it's absolutely true. There's a little bit of an autopilot, but also knowing when to time Omnath, when to play around it, when you know you can go all in, etc. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of play to it, uh, but it's also just a strategy of just putting a lot of creatures on the battlefield, creating pressure. That's just the, the, the style of play that I really enjoy. And the the I've, I've gotten bored with decks before. I've taken decks apart. Uh, I've never gotten bored with Omnath. And so it really does feel that maybe 
maybe Omnath chose me. Uh, <laughs> of all the the players out there, Omnath picked me, and 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 now uh, we're just so special. Like I'm Omnath, trying to think of more like dating metaphors, but uh, Omnath said I do. Omnath, you... I, I got down on one knee, and everybody at LGS looked at me real funky because I was proposing to a magic card. I just it, you, you you opened up the the, the little jewel box and and showed Omnath the uh, taiga you purchased. <laughs> yes. This yes. this is the silliest thing. But like so right there like the the difference between those two commanders and by the way, having played against both of your guys landfall decks, they're very good. They do lots of ghost smash, lots of gober as the technical term is. And the dynamics are so completely different between those two. One of them being completely commander centric and the payoff for hitting lands and another one being an engine that fuels other payoffs within the 99. And that alone is going to completely change the number of payoffs that you have in the deck where Matt's deck, that could be the only payoff that he has for landfall. He might not need other landfall cards at all if he doesn't want to because the deck can be so commander centric and you know in dana's deck you would need a lot more of them you need a much higher density that way you have big landfall things that the commanders have helped enable not only that but like matt you're playing sacrifice outlets in that deck sacrifice outlets in a landfall deck to self-sacrifice your elemental so that they blow up and deal damage with the omnath's other three damage triggered ability like what a huge difference even though they both care about about lands and these are just two gruel landfall decks we could also if we wanted to bring up you know uh rada heart of keld is another gruel landfall deck or phylath like have y'all actually played against phylath who makes a bunch of plant tokens for each of your basic lands it's like basically the legendary avenger of zendikar Phyleth is incredible. Phyleth gets really overlooked because there are other famous, you know, gruel landfall decks out there, but Phyleth immediately powers out the board with like eight bodies as soon as Phyleth comes down, and then it pumps them up by four plus one counters on a single plant every time you play a land, and that's really easy to do. You play a couple of lands and boom, now one of your plants is hitting for 12, and you can fling it or Chandra's Ignition that one too. Like, Phyleth is also an incredible deck, but the pace there is completely different to the pace that is going on here. Like, this is all just within Gruul. We're not even talking about landfall decks outside of that color combination. Just there. Like, this alone, when it comes to, like, I want to build a Gruul landfall deck, there are so many decisions for you, and all of these decks play so, so differently. And that is really, really big. And the type of detail that doesn't just exist here for Gruul landfall, but exists everywhere. But this is just a really easy example for it. Yeah, I think it's, it's really good for the game to have that many different options, too. To have the ability to... Yeah, I mean, you could conceivably sit down in a in a pod of four different people playing Gruul landfall decks <laughs> and have all of those decks play considerably different from one another. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, for for real. Like the Rada, that is a commander that gives you extra land drops off the top of your deck, I think. But then Rada pumps herself up. She's Gruul landfall Voltron, and then Omnath is like gruel landfall tokens and mina and den is more of the enabler that also can help you out and then like phyleth has plant tokens and is more of like you could make it a fling deck or something like that like those are so many different directions to go and for me matt you had hinted before i have my titania deck specifically the thing that i wanted to do with landfall and what i you know looked for uh, looked through a bunch of different landfall commanders to try and find i wanted one that was going to have my lands going in and out of the graveyard a whole bunch which is one of the reasons why lord windgrace was so appealing to me but eventually i got so many options in those colors the, you know juggling black and red and green i was just like this is too much i think i actually just want to slim down to mono green and now it's just titania and she is 
really, really fun. And the entire deck is built around just sacrificing all of my lands and bringing them right back out for landfall triggers. And it's super, super awesome. But that too is a completely different style than the ones that you guys were talking about there too. And just like all of this nuance contained just within a couple of different legendary creatures, whichever one of these that you would pick would so severely change the entire soul of your deck that I feel like it's really important to figure out what it is that you actually want the deck to be doing for that to, to find like you've actually got your home in that deck if that makes sense uh, i don't know we've tortured a lot of metaphors this episode so i hope i mean <laughs> but but you just kind of perfectly narrated dana's point earlier you, you seasoned a taste you 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 test a little bit you make some changes you test a little bit you make some changes you add some salt some pepper whatever or yeah you you pruned the deck down and then you found what really was working for you and you found the flavor of the deck that you really liked. Um, so yes, like as I don't watch like a lot of Food Network, but Dana's met, like, metaphor was perfect on for this one. <laughs> and I just think that that's something that you can apply to not just this one instance of the landfall, but like, you know, we mentioned equipment earlier. Let's look at that category now. Equipment has, you know, there's a bunch of things that you want to do. Most of it's going to be in Boros, so let's go with that. Like there's the Akiri that draws you cards when your equipped creatures attack. Well, that's going to be a deck that wants you to have a lot of creatures in the 99 versus if you're playing Arden and Rograk, Arden auto-equipping your other zero mana commander, that's going to be a Voltron equipment strategy. So you don't need a whole bunch of other creatures in the deck at all. Or there's Wyleth, which draws you cards for each equipment that is attached to Wyleth. So that's going to inevitably force you to prioritize more of the smaller number of equipments that all cost very, very cheap to play and to equip to your commander so that you can draw a bunch more cards. Those are all Boros equipment, but they are all doing like the types of equipment that you care about in each of those decks are going to be completely different. Yeah, and, and for example, if you're playing a you know Boros equipment deck and Arden is one of the partners who right there in the command zone has a way to attach equipment without paying the equip cost, maybe you don't need to run things like Sigardus Aid, for example, that you almost always see in equipment decks as a way to bypass that cost. Since you have that right there in the command zone, it becomes redundant effect. Um, which is kind of nice, actually, because it frees up a few slots you'd otherwise have to give up to having some of those auto-equip things um, just in your list. Yeah, well, and in my Valduk deck, for example, I, I don't even have access to white, but it's still a very much an equipment-heavy deck. I have to figure out a way to generate a lot of mana because repaying those equipment costs because I'm not able to kind of skirt those. Mm. Uh, it, it's definitely something I have to factor into the deck. So. Yeah, there's all sorts of different ways that you have to, to figure out what are you trying to do? Like, what, what is a contingency plan? Um, and a lot of times that comes down to the commander specifically in these types of decks. Yeah, very much. Just the, the options in the command zone there. Uh, I don't know. Th those umbrellas feel really big when it comes to those categories like landfall or like equipment or like wheels or like even, you know, zombie tribal or something like that. Like there are a bunch of options, but the commander choice is going to affect a whole lot and finding which of those is right for you can actually be really tough and maybe require some experience with the deck to actually find out, but it can be such a big deal when you actually get there. And well, in, in, in the comparison we're using here too, it's like, we're just talking about in a, a set combination of colors. So we're, <laughs> we're talking Boros equipment or, or gruel landfall. Once you expand out of those initial colors, mm -hmm. and, and let's let's talk about my my Arden and Sior equipment deck again. By giving up red and adding blue, it adds a whole bunch of support cards that you otherwise would almost never have access to in an equipment deck, um, or even mechanics mechanics like improvise from Kaladesh, where you can tap your equipment, 
for absolutely zero downside. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's tapped or not on, on your equipment and just get basically kind of free cost reduction on useful spells. That's something you just never even think about when you're playing Boros. But when you have access to blue instead of red, it changes how you maybe want to build the things around the deck, the, the things you fill in the blanks with. There's just a lot more options there. Um, or you have cards like Shimmer Dragon when you have access to blue, again, where you can tap the equipment on your on, on your commander or whatever for absolutely no downside just to draw free cards. And That's so sick. That's such a sick interaction. Yeah, and, and it's just not something you would have access to in Boros or, or Vidalcan Archmage, where you just draw cards for casting an equipment spell in the first place because <laughs> whenever you cast an artifact, you draw, you draw a card. Well, every equipment's an artifact, so once you like step out of the traditional color color pairs for whatever the thing you're doing, um, it just opens up so many other options as well that perhaps you don't think about when you're just playing the kind of traditional pairings. Yeah, very much. That is like, you can pull out some really silly stuff. And so like, even when you're putting that microscope in and just looking within the color pair, it's really complex. And there's a bunch of nuances, a bunch of differences, a bunch of strategical changes that occur by picking a, uh, a different commander within that umbrella, just within the color combo. And you're right, Dana, it gets so much more complex when you zoom out on top of that as well. There are so many things and it can be a whole lot to try and figure out which of these is the right one for you. But I think for me, my final lesson about this, about finding the right commander, the thing that I think is at least the most effective when trying to juggle all of those options, whether I'm committed to a color combination or I'm still looking to find the right color combination, the most helpful question that I've found for myself is basically, how does this deck win? And knowing what the deck's end point is going to be, I have found is going to be a, a, a lot more helpful in deciding which commander actually fits the bill for what I'm trying to do. You know, if I want to build elf tribal decks, for example, does that, you know, do these two different elf tribal options, let's say Lathril, for example, who makes a bunch of tokens or Lana War Abomination, which is itself almost kind of a Voltron because of how big it can get based on the number of elves you control or in your graveyard. Like one of those might be a commander damage win and another one is going to be a token swarm win. Which of those is the actual appealing one to me? That can be very, very illuminating when I figure out what it is that I'm actually trying to get. So examining the commanders, not just from a elf tribal Golgari deck, but actually from the how does this specific commander win perspective, that can be very, very helpful at figuring out what you actually want from that deck and how you'll have the most fun with it. Because the ways that you win, the way that your deck actually wins, is tends to be a lot more emotionally impactful when you're playing the game than just their general value engines tend to be. The ways that the deck wins stick with you a whole lot. And if you don't like it, that's going to stick with you a lot. But if you find the right one, it's going oh, to feel so impactful and so resonant. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I, I've absolutely fallen into the trap where I, I win a game Sometimes by accident, I, maybe I didn't plan on interaction or I didn't look for that, but I discovered it in playing and I'm like, I don't like, I don't feel good about that win. I, that felt yeah. bad. Um, I absolutely had that feeling. Uh, I remember I, I discovered a, a pseudo combo, um, a limited combo with uh, perilous forays in my Omnath Lucas of Rage deck with an Amulet of Vigor. So I was able to oh. sacrifice a, a elemental to uh, Perilous Forays. I got to pull a basic and put on the battlefield. Amulet of Vigor untapped it, uh, created another elemental. I got to tap that land to repeat the process. Um, I found that out by accident, actually. Um, <laughs> and I blew up everybody because I had a Valakut uh, Molten Pinnacle in place. <laughs> so I pulled out all my mountains. Um, 
And I just, I never planned on that. I just thought Perilous Four was just a great way to sacrifice elementals and get more elementals. Um, and then Amulet Vigor is just a, a very, very powerful card to begin with. Um, so I had stumbled onto this combo completely by accident and won the game. I'm like, I don't like this. I, I should maybe like tinker with this. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I've had that type of situation there, Joey. So I've, I've thought about win conditions, and I've also had other decks too where I forget win conditions. I'm all about like <laughs> doing the thing that I want to do, and so I don't actually figure out a way to win games. And that is a pitfall I've fallen into, probably more so than anything else. That's, um, that that's that's pretty great. But yeah, yeah, the win conditions. Another. Another example that I think I mentioned at the the top of the show is probably like the Brago example. Who you know, Dana, you've got a lot of experience playing against Brago decks, and a lot of the ways that that deck tends to win the game is with some combo stuff using Strionic Resonator to duplicate the blink effects. And I think it's just so huge to look like if you want to build a a blink deck and you're deciding between Brago and Rune, for example, which are both very blink-tastic commanders. Well, the difference in how those commanders will win the game isn't like it, it's just it feels like night and day because rune cares a whole lot about bouncing a bunch of creatures and will make a bunch of creature tokens with a bunch of etb effects for example or pump them all up or something like that and you're really going to get a bunch of creature based wins in there and brago might be a bit more on that combo route a little bit more streamlined in that particular way and the difference between those two blink commanders isn't just that they have two different sets of colors it's that the ways that they win are different and knowing the end point of the deck is just going to be so valuable when you're trying to start that journey i can throw one more example here of this um i'd wanted to build a, a mono black deck and i didn't really have anything that played in the life gain space so i wound up building a a veto deck um and the way veto works is when you gain life it deals damage to somebody else so i kind of built it as a big black mana deck and i would use spells that gained you a ton of life to then you know dump somebody else the problem is veto has a really obvious combo of exquisite blood and i didn't have it in the the deck because that just isn't really the way i wanted to win but everyone assumes you do <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um and, and you know in addition to that i found i didn't necessarily love quite the way it played um and at some point when tavash gloom summoner came out i put tavash in that deck just because he synergized fairly well with it and then once I got Tavash into play um, and got to use him a few times, I realized Tavash was just a lot of fun in general. <laughs> um, so I was able to basically swap out Vito for Tavash. Um, the deck played, you know, with this mostly the same cards. I didn't have to change very many things out. And it just played much more the way I wanted to play that deck. Um, it wasn't necessarily a, a situation um, exactly like Omnath, because it wasn't, Omnath was more centralizing in terms of how I wanted to brew that deck, but it, there was the overlap where it just, I didn't want the attention that Vito drew, and Tavash flies under the radar a little bit more than, than, than Vito did. So, again, it just fit me and my playstyle better, and as a result, I enjoy the deck a lot more now than I did when I first built it. You know, I think that that's probably another good final lesson to take away from this too, is that sometimes the only way that you will find the right commander is by getting actual practice with all of those things to see what doesn't work for you. Because you might not know what doesn't work for you until you have tried it to see whether it works for you. And so that's also probably a good lesson for us to, to take away, not even just focusing on, you know, what is the win condition or any of that, but like also, also just, you know, actually getting some practice that's the only way that we're going to learn this thing in the first place so that that's another good lesson i think to 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 end on and i i hope that that is a good warm reading rainbow feeling for everyone. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, I, I mean, I, LeVar Burton would be very, very proud of that transition right there. I, I, I was just like, no, in the back of my mind, I was just like, I was still continuing that metaphor of just like, yes, you have to wait for the commander to choose you. And it's just like, I don't know, like I'm still... <laughs> It's it's strangely wholesome. I get it. Like it's it's just a nice little feeling. I still think it's creepy, but I'm glad that you think it's wholesome. Uh, <laughs> why, why don't we creep our way out of this episode? Then? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll TLC our way out. Got to creep, creep. That that was that was to radiohead ourselves the way out of here. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, we would love. No, 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 Dana, Dana. I don't want no scrubs. Come on. <laughs> All right. With that, what I think we need to do is call this episode to a close. So, fellas, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? Uh, you can find me at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5 over on Twitter. Um, also, don't forget, Wednesday evenings we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash edhretcast uh, every Wednesday evening. Uh, we have awesome guests on every single week, so make sure you tune in because the games are always a blast. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcasts, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for EDHREC and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRECcast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. And you can find the cast at EDHRECcast on Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Josh Sequoia and the whole team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on the podcast. And we want to thank our sponsors, DCG Player and CardKingdom.com. Plus, you can visit Altersleeves.com slash EDHRECcast for cool, custom EDHREC sleeves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then... Remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Wreck your deck.